We have been going through the book of Hebrews now for several months. Uh, today we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you would please turn there. I'm going to be reading verses 29 through chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 29. And before I read, I just want to get this in your mind. This is really where I'm going to be going today. It's really right there in the title that Jesus did not promise that this would be easy. A lot of times people have an expectation that when you come to Christ and begin following him, that all of your problems just disappear, that all of that just goes away, and that he's supposed to, in some ways, just wipe all that out of your life and things get easy for you. Now, times, you know, sometimes they do, but there is no guarantee of that. Jesus has not promised that your life will get easier. I will say your life will get better, but that's a very subjective word, is it not? Your life will get better. We sang some songs about that a little bit a little while ago. Life does get better because you've got Christ with you, but it does not mean that everything gets better just because your circumstances magically get better on their own or because of him. So that's where we're going today, and as we read, I think that you're going to get to pick up on some of that, and that certainly is the subject of my message. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us who walked in faith, and in many of their lives, great victory was seen. But also in many of their lives, a great deal of difficulty came. But they all had the same faith, and they were looking to Jesus. 
And I pray, Heavenly Father, that that is where our eyes are this morning, that our faith is in Him, not in our circumstances, not in what is happening to us, but on the solid rock where our feet stand, they are on Christ. And so, Lord, please give us strength today to see Him in all of His glory, all of His promises, all of His goodness. Give us faith and eyes to see. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just about any red-blooded American knows who Uncle Sam is. Most have probably seen the poster from 1917 that says, Uncle Sam wants you. Man's got the top hat on, and he's pointing out there. That was a World War I poster intended to recruit servicemen into the military to go overseas. His date or his time goes back quite a bit further than that, though, actually close to the founding of our country. He's always kind of stood for the U.S. government in general and the U.S. Army in particular. And when a young man signs up to serve Uncle Sam, there are some things that are meant to be guaranteed to him. Some of you all know what those are because you have served. Somebody is supposed to serve the cause of liberty and honor. He's pretty well guaranteed that he's going to have minimal finances, not a whole lot of extra. He's going to be guaranteed three hots and a cot. So when Uncle Sam points at you and calls, those are supposed to be the promises that he is making to you. But what Uncle Sam does not promise to you is your safety. You're not promised that at all. Matter of fact, often Uncle Sam's going to put you in harm's way. That's where you're going. Uncle Sam does not, also he does not promise you that things are going to be easy. Things are not going to go easy for you. I think something could, similar could be said about your first true encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm wondering this morning, as you think back on your path, where you came to know Jesus, what was it like when somebody first told you about him? What did they promise you? What did they tell you was going to happen in your life? Did they promise you that your life would get better? And that they would define for you what better actually means? And when did they say that better would actually come? Did you believe in those first days that all of your problems would begin to work out, that your marriage would automatically improve, that your children, that they would all turn out exactly as you hoped, that your bank account would always have extra in it, and that just in general, as you followed Jesus, that all your problems would begin to fade away. Is that what you were promised? These things can happen when a person becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, but none of them are guarantees. Jesus has not promised those things. The Marine Corps had a poster in the recruiting office in my hometown, and it said that we do not promise you a bed of roses, and neither does Jesus. In fact, the passage in front of us today should make that pretty clear to us. If it's not already a settled principle in your mind, just even from your own experience of following him, you have probably seen that that is not the case. Things don't just automatically get easier. And this is probably not a passage that's trotted out in front of you when you first come to Christ. But it is a passage 
that shapes a right expectation of what it means to be a Christian in this world and what our eyes should be on while we are here. It tells us where our eyes need to be in the middle of all the difficulties. And so just like with Uncle Sam, there are things that a disciple of Christ is promised and there are certain things that a disciple of Christ is not promised. And I'm going to start with those that are not. Faith in Christ does not guarantee that your path will be smooth or that every outcome will look victorious. You all experience that yourselves? The path is often bumpy, hard. Things don't go the way that you want them to. You want to experience constant victory. Maybe that is what you were promised by someone, but it wasn't Jesus. I'm sure you noticed while I was reading that there were many victorious moments in the history of God's people. We like that first section, don't we? He's rattling off all of these things that took place in the lives of God's people. The stories that we've read in the Old Testament. You know, this is the stuff that's taught in Sunday school and in VBS. By faith, men like Gideon and David, what did they do? They killed giants, and they put foreign armies to flight. They ran them off, banging on pitchers and had torches, and armies fled. Daniel walked out of the lion's den unharmed. His friends quenched the power of fire. That's what's being talked about here. We know those stories, don't we? And praise God for them. Elisha, he brought the faithful woman's son back from the dead. Our God is powerful. And he's often delivered his people from certain death, and he has worked many miracles on their behalf. I'm sure many of you in this room have experiences where God has done amazing things in your life. And when we pray for God to work on our behalf, we should know that he is able to do more than we even ask of him. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he is capable of doing above and beyond what we could ask or think. God's able. And not only should we know that, we should pray expecting that God will work on our behalf. We do not pray as those who doubt we're to pray as those who have faith and believe. We trust in him, and we expect good from our God. But is earthly victory the only thing that we see in Scripture? Do God's people always gain victory? Do things always work out as they had planned? Well, that's pretty clear that's not the case, even from this passage that's in front of us. Hebrews does not shy away from giving us the other side of the coin. Not, things don't always turn out victorious. They don't always look victorious. They often look terrible. So not only are we told that the faithful people of God experience tremendous de deliverance and victory from his hand, they also experience tremendous pain and suffering. And they did that as they trusted in God. And if you've ever served in children's ministry before, you know that the things in that second half of the passage, those are not the lessons that are generally taught in Sunday school. They don't build curriculum 
and teaching around the sufferings of Jeremiah and Ezekiel where they were told to go out and preach and nobody will listen to you. Matter of fact, they're going to hate you and they're going to try to kill you. What about the book of Job? That's a long book, isn't it? Forty-something chapters. What happened in that man's life? And he never completely understood why all of those difficulties came to him. He simply knew at the end that God was big and he knew what he was doing. But Job suffered tremendously and he was a man of faith. We're told here that because of their faithfulness, Many of the people of God, they lived as outcasts until the day that they died, and death came in terrible ways, like being sawn in two. Who wants that promise? Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. In fact, if we were to, fr to phrase the way that the rest of that chapter goes, kind of like he does there at the first, it would go something like this. By faith, some were tortured refusing to accept release. By faith, they were stoned and killed with the sword. By faith, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Nobody puts that on the poster when you sign up. But maybe they should. Faith in Christ does not guarantee better circumstances for your life. That's not a promise that's made. Those who teach that you can have your best life right now, meaning that you're going to experience victory in every area of life all the time, things are always going to work out the way that you want in every relationship, every battle that you face. If you just have faith, right? How many times have you heard that? If you just have faith, everything's going to be okay. Well, these people had faith. And we're told that not everything was okay in their lives. Those people who teach things like that, they need to stop avoiding passages like this. They're more likely to be teaching some kind of new age, self-help, capitalistic, patriotic spirituality than biblical Christianity. God is not promising you a bed of roses when you come to faith in him. That guarantee is not in the contract. Jesus has not promised to change all of your circumstances for the better, but he has promised to change you for the better in the midst of your circumstances. You have been promised that. He has not promised to make all of your problems go away while you're here. He's promised to be with you in all of your problems while you are here. He's promised to use all the problems for your good while you're here and change you through those problems while you are here to make you more fit for heaven. Those are promises that Jesus has made to be with you, to use all your problems, to change you through those, to make you ready and fit for a new world. Those are guarantees. Those are promises. An easier life or a life of continual outward victory, those are not promised. So brothers and sisters, we do not follow Jesus because it is easy. We follow him because he is the truth. Where else are we supposed to turn? We turn to the truth. 
We turn to a present help in a time of need. That's where we turn. He's always there for us. He's constantly molding and shaping us. He's constantly using all the stuff in our life to prepare us for an eternity with him. That's what we're promised. And once our eyes have been opened to the truth, we cannot go back to living a lie. We will not. We cannot now disbelieve that the Son of God has come to save a rebel like me. We cannot now disbelieve that the Son of God was raised from the dead. We cannot now disbelieve that the Son of God is now seated on his throne, ruling over the kings of the world. And he's ruling over my heart and life. We cannot now disbelieve that Jesus delights in a holy life and that I am called to be holy. And I will still love holiness when I and you have been there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. So I cannot disbelieve those things once I have them in my heart and I will not go back. Will you? We can't go back. Remember when the disciples were following behind Jesus and he started saying some hard things to them? This is John chapter 6. He started saying some stuff that they didn't know exactly what he was talking about. And all the disciples, they started walking away, all these other disciples. They went back to their homes. They were leaving. We can't, we can't stand for this anymore. This guy is weird. He's calling us to some weird stuff. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And once you know he has the words of eternal life, he is seeking my eternal good, and I will not go anywhere else. And I know that no matter what comes into my life is there for my good because he is able to work it that way. God is shaping and molding me through the circumstances that I have. He does not promise that they will all get better. In fact, I would ask you, in your own life, have you found that you learned or were molded when things were easy or when things were hard? When have you learned the most? When have you been shaped the most? When has your heart been formed for good the most? Is it not always seemingly when times are hard and Jesus has walked with you through them showing you that he will never leave you he will never forsake you and it's not just that he's there like a buddy he's there empowering you to live in a different way through those circumstances he's changing you through them those are the guarantees that we have in this life as Christians So we cannot now give up our faith when the road gets hard because we weren't promised easy. The hard road is part of God's plan to grow our faith. And the sooner we grab hold of that and understand that and embrace that, the better things will be inside of here anyway. My expectations start to change according to what God's Word says not according to what somebody else told me that this was all supposed to be about. 
God's plan through our difficulties is to give us greater joy, his joy, to teach us faithfulness, to purify us from our sin, to remove stumbling blocks from our way, to give us wisdom, not just for ourselves, but so that we can encourage other people. We all need help along this difficult road. And we're there for one another. And Christ is certainly there for us. And so I ask you this morning how many of you all are struggling right now in a particular relationship? How many of you are walking through a difficult trial? Maybe a sickness. Maybe watching another person self-destruct or suffer. Somebody that just won't listen. It's tearing you apart. God, why won't they listen? Why won't their ears open up? Why won't they turn to you? And you're sitting there praying, begging God for help, for deliverance, for change, and it's not coming the way that you want it to. And you're tempted to think in that moment, you know, God has left me. He's not there for me. God doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. I've done something wrong, and he's fled from me. Because I think we would admit that as we read this passage right here and see the first half of that, that you and I, we want to be the man, do we not, who puts foreign armies to flight. That's what we want. We want to pray and watch things immediately change all the time. Sicknesses disappear. Hard hearts broken down and softened. People walking to Jesus what must I do to be saved, you want them to say? That's what we want. But we need to take heart that those who were sawn in two and mistreated, that they had the same faith. They had the same faith. That's what we're being told here. We need to understand that God has not failed us. Because he never promised that you'd get everything that you want in this life. And you think that those people who were about to be sawn in two and they were being mistreated and tortured and flogged and put in prison, do you think that they did not pray to God in faith that he would deliver them? Of course they did. We're told that they had faith. What were they promised, though? So if they weren't promised that everything was going to get easier for them, that all of their problems would vanish and life would, almost like wishing to a genie, he just makes it happen. If they weren't promised that, what were they promised? Look at verse 35. It says it pretty clearly. It says that they were promised that they might rise again to a better life. That's what they were promised. So faith is looking forward. It's looking ahead. What have I been promised by God? I have been promised a better life, a longer life, an eternal life, in a much better place. That's what they were promised. Verse 40, it says, they were promised the day would come when they would be made perfect that day was out there in front of them. Not only would they live in a perfect place, that they too would be perfect in that perfect place. That day was not promised to them here, but it was somewhere 
out there on the horizon. And so they were able to live faithfully with extreme difficulty here on earth. Why? Why were they able to go through that here on earth? It was because they were trusting in a God who promised them that their great reward was beyond this world. And I want to tell you, I think we all know it, that God does give many blessings in this life, does he not? We have a tremendous amount to be grateful for. If we just open up our eyes and see how God has rained down his pleasure and goodness upon us, he has. So I'm not denying that at all. What I want you to understand is that there is a kind of goodness, a kind of grace, a kind of pleasure that God has promised to us that is not going to be given fully in this world. We get a little taste of it. God has given his spirit in our hearts. We taste his presence and his goodness. But the fullness of that is still yet to come. And what that does, that strengthens my weak legs that get tired It strengthens my weak heart that just wants to lay down and quit along the way. As long as I'm looking out there on the horizon and I see that, that's what he has given to me. I will not stop walking while I am here. That's what these people understood. That's what they saw. And so if that future with Christ is certain, and it is, faith sees it. The flesh does not. Faith sees it and knows that Christ has been raised from the dead. Faith sees Jesus raised from the dead up in heaven now, seated at the right hand of the Father. When I see that in his word, I know it's true. I know it's true. And I know he's made me promises. My heart will lead me away. It'll lead me astray. It'll cause me to want to cling to other promises that the world makes to me. But Jesus has promised me a future hope with him. And because of that, when I see that, I keep going. That's what this book right here was written for. The book of Hebrews is to strengthen weak Christians who are getting tired. And life is getting hard. And maybe that's where you are right now. And you just think, ah, it's just more attractive to go over here and live like this. Like all these other people, things seem to be getting better for them. Things don't seem to be getting better for me. Maybe it's just time that I quit this Jesus thing. And what you need to see is the promise that you have been given lies beyond this world, a taste in this world, but the fullness in a world to come. And I can guarantee you that when you get there, you will not be disappointed. And you will not think to yourself, oh, I just wish I had all of those sinful pleasures. That was much better than what I've got right now. Oh. God is going to blow our minds and blow our hearts. And so with a Savior like that and a reward like that that are out there beyond the horizon, how could you not keep going? Faith will push you forward. It will impel you, compel you to go forward got a quotation from one of my favorite authors, John Newton, right here. Listen to what he says. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to carry possession, to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. 
What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. He's walking to a great inheritance. It's right out there in front of him. His carriage breaks down, and all he does is complain the rest of the way. How silly we think. We're like, man, don't you know? You're about to walk into a great inheritance. Why are you worried about that carriage? You should be running toward it right now, not even thinking about that thing. Even worse then. The man whose carriage breaks down a mile from his inheritance, and in disgust and anger, he just turns around and goes home. Well, if my carriage can't take me all the way there, I quit. You say, man, something's broken in your head. <laughs> well, that's what we're being told here. That the Christian has all of this out there in front of him. Beautiful. Faith sees it. And it's not going to get within a mile of it. All it takes is death to get me there, Jesus to come back, finishing my race strong. That's all it takes. And you're going to quit before you get to that? <laughs> Something our heads would be broken too. No earthly inheritance compares to what he has promised us. If we get that about an earthly inheritance, we surely should get it about a heavenly one. And if we believe what's being promised to us here, then verse 1 of chapter 12 will make a lot more sense to us. Look at what we're told. So since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these people that he's pointed us to in the Old Testament that have run that race, have finished it in faith, they kept going no matter what their circumstances were there for, because all of them are saying, this is what it is. Faith, keep going. It's out there in front of you. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's admitted that the race is hard. It's a hard race. It's difficult. You're going to get tired along the way. If you've ever run in a race before, you know that that's the case. There's a point somewhere along the way where you just want to quit. I used to do a lot of running, and I used to do a lot of wanting to quit. And somewhere in there, if you just keep going... You just eventually you make it to the end. It's like your body just keeps pushing you forward as long as you don't quit. And so this race is not going to be easy no matter what. And yes, some people do get an easier path than others. We don't get to haggle with that. God knows what he's doing. But there are two things here that we are commanded to do to run this race well all the way to the finish line. As we accept, the race is going to be hard. What encouragement do we receive here? Two basic things to keep us going in faith in this race. The first one is to lay aside sins and weights. Do you see that? There in verse 1. Lay aside every sin, every weight that clings so closely. 
It would be foolish for an Olympic sprinter to run his race with weights strapped to his legs. Now, he might do that to train, right? People do that. But it'd be foolish to do that when the day of the race came. It's going to slow him down. And so we're being told that the Christian should run her journey to the finish line free of unnecessary weight. And so we look at all those sins and weights and say, if this could keep me from the finish line and all that Christ has promised to me, if this is in my way, that's going to make me stumble and not get there. I think that puts sin in its proper perspective. Sin's aim is to keep you from the prize, keep you from finishing the race. And if we know that, what will we say? You are gone, sin. You are gone. You're out of my life. No matter how attractive that sin is. You're not as attractive as the inheritance that I have with Christ. You're not worth it. But he doesn't just mention our sin right here that slows us down. He says every weight. So it's not sin, but it still makes me slow down in my race. Maybe it's just unwise, bad habits, misuse of time, too much concern with worldly things, politics, sports, and such, too much focus on hobbies. There are all sorts of things out there that aren't necessarily evil in themselves, but too much of anything can become a kind of weight. It's not wise, just like a runner with weights on his legs. He can still run. He's just a lot more sluggish. So that's the first thing that we're told here. One more thing and we'll be done. And it's the most important thing. The second thing we're told here is to keep our eyes on Jesus. The full statement is, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. So all the while that we are running, our eyes are supposed to be somewhere. Not out here to the side, not over here. You know that if you're running, you got to look straight ahead. Well, who's out there in front of us? Jesus is. And what does he mean by that? Jesus has finished his race. What was his race? The cross. He was sent down here to run a particular kind of race by faith. And there were things that were out there in front of him too. It says, for the glory that was set before him. There was glory out there in front of Jesus. And because of that, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he right now after he finished his race? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So all of those things that Jesus was promised while he was here in front of him, finish your race and all of this is there. Glory is there for you, Jesus. And not just glory, a glorious people. But what's in front of you? A terrible cross. Suffering. The worst kind of suffering. Where all of our sins were poured out on Jesus. He experienced the wrath of God. That was in front of him. But he knew on the other side was glory. And so as we run our race with great difficulty in front of us, he called us to a cross. 
He said, let every man who comes after me take up your cross and follow me. So what do we expect? That it's going to be easy? It was not easy for him. And there's no promise it'll be easy for us. But Jesus has received what he has been promised. And because he has received his, we can rest assured that we will receive ours. Because it is with him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is in heaven. He directs our gaze there. That's where your eyes go. And that's why I keep running straight to him. The promises were made to him, and his promises have been made to me. And I am guaranteed, you are guaranteed, that if you run that race faithfully to the end, you will be where he is in glory. What a wonderful promise from God. And so, brothers and sisters, I would ask you again, is it hard for you right now? And are your legs getting tired? And is your heart entertaining giving up? We are being told, look to Jesus. That one look to him in faith is enough to keep you going. Do not throw in the towel. Glory is out there in front of you. Some of you this morning have looked to him in faith. You've seen him. And maybe a passage like this will just strengthen your legs just a little bit push you forward, lead you to lay aside sin and wait and see him up ahead and keep going. Some of you, though, this morning have never trusted in Jesus Christ. And maybe this is the first time that you're hearing something like this. Look to him in faith. And these are the promises that are being made to you. Jesus does not call you to clean yourself up ahead of time and make yourself presentable to him. He knows you're not presentable. That's what the cross was all about. There is nothing for you to earn with him. He has earned it all. He lived the perfect life in your place, and he suffered a sinner's death in your place. Life and grace and freedom are there for you. Look at him in faith and believe. That's what you're called to. And these promises are yours as a gift straight from the heart of a gracious and loving God, given to sinners like me and sinners like you. I'm going to ask right now if the worship team would come back forward. They're going to play one last song here at the end. Is He Worthy? It was the last one that we sang, and I hope this morning in just a moment that you are able to sing that, yes, He is. He is worthy of our praise. And after I pray, if you would like to come forward and just pray, maybe there is a sin or a weight that you want to lay aside. Maybe you just want to kneel before the Lord and ask him for cleansing. The steps of the stage up here will be open. You can certainly do that there in your seats. I'm not, nobody's being compelled to come forward. We're just letting you know that you can. There's going to be a couple of guys down here that will be here if you want to pray with somebody. We want to pray with you. So I'm going to ask Jason and, and Angel if you guys would come to the front, a couple of our elders. Arnie, if you'd like to come to the front. I ask our elders to come forward. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we'll be down here at the front to do that with you.
Let me pray for us, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this time of worship. We thank you for this word from you from Hebrews chapter 11. What a powerful text it is that tells us about what we are promised and what we are not. And I pray, God, that we will be a people who cling to you by faith. And I am sure that there are people here this morning that need to lay something aside, knowing that their hearts will deceive them and lead them astray. Keep their eyes on Christ. He is the one who will lead them faithfully home to a better place, a better life that is beyond this world. We are called pilgrims and strangers and exiles here on earth. That is our homeland. That is what we seek. I'm sure there are people here this morning, too, that have not put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that as they have heard your word, that you have called them to faith and they now see Jesus with new eyes and a new heart. And so, Lord, we trust this time of worship, the rest of it into your hands. We trust all that we have done. We hope, God, that it has been pleasing to your sight. Please work in the hearts of us, Lord, to respond to you in the way that you desire for us too. And I pray, God, that it is in faith that will not be broken ever by anything in this world and that Jesus will keep our legs, our hearts strong for the rest of this race, that we will run it with endurance straight to him where we will be with him forever and ever and always in eternal glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.